Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Again, it's our great privilege to open the Word of God and to hear from His voice as He speaks to us through His written Word. And as you know, as you're in Ephesians 1 there, that we've been immersed in the Apostles' Prayer for the saints in Ephesus. That began in verse 15. And here we see in verses 15 and following a divinely inspired example of intercessory prayer. In other words, how to pray for other Christians, how to pray for others in the church. And we will learn this by following Paul's prayer. We should pray this um, as Paul prays this. We should pray it for ourselves, but we should pray for each other, for other Christians along these lines. This is the beauty of this. And so if you would find yourself in verse 15, I want to read down at least through 20 here to see how it is that Paul prays, and then we'll dive into this. Verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We can stop right there. As we have been in here a few weeks, we say and we find that verses 18 and 19 are the hub of this prayer. Last week we examined the first two found in verse 18. What Paul prays for is what is the hope of his calling. That was the first. The second is what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Those two what's we looked at last week. This is what Paul prayed for, for the Christians in Ephesus, is that they would know what is the glory of his plan, hope of his calling, and what is the glory found in his people. That's the inheritance. As we said last week, the inheritance that's mentioned in verse 18 is us. We are God's inheritance We have an inheritance, but we are also his inheritance. And we learned that um, last week and even a few weeks ago in verse 11. But if just to remind us, the hope of his calling, verse 18, Paul's praying for every believer equally that we all come to an understanding, a knowledge of what is the hope of his calling. Hope is a confident expectation. It's, it's, it's rooted in the gospel promises. This hope that's mentioned here is unwavering. It doesn't change whether one believes it or not. It's the content of the gospel. It's the promises of the gospel that is the hope of the gospel. Okay, so what is in the gospel? And I'll just summarize this. We're, we're promised their... Um, eternal life. We're promised eternal joy. We're promised to be in a glorified, resurrected body in the presence of Jesus Christ with nothing but eternal joy. No more sadness, no more suffering, no more tears. Um, Sin is gone. There's nothing but righteousness and joy. That's the hope of the gospel. And we looked at all the different verses to kind of support all of that. And then the second um, part of Paul's prayer for believers in verse 18 
is what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. We said that uh, God puts a worth. He puts a value on his saints, on his people. And we are his special possession. We are his special treasure by his choice. And we looked at the different passages that said he delights in us. He honors us. He exalts over us. All those different wonderful passages that says that God truly, not only does he love you, but he likes you. Imagine that. right? He actually likes you. He chose you to be in his presence in intimate relationship forever. Right? Paul wants the believers to know that, that that you have a hope that's secure and that God actually likes you and dances over you and exalts over you, right? Um, Isn't it interesting? That's where Paul begins. That's where Paul begins. He prays this for believers. So you could be a believer and not really grip this. right? You'd be distracted by the world, be spun off in worldliness, in sin, whatever. But, But you wouldn't live in light of this. And this is something we all possess. You're not, you're not growing in this. You're not earning this. This is that which Christ accomplished on your behalf when he died and was raised from the dead. Right? This is the hope of your calling. It's secure. Now live in light of it. And come to grips with you are God's treasure. So live this life in light of that. And it's not because we're so wonderful. And it, For him to treasure us does not, does not because we're so good. It just shows how great his love is. How great His grace is. Does that make sense? It's not because we're so wonderful that we're the treasure. It's because He's chosen to make you a treasure, Mr. Tino. And that elevates His grace. You see, He put a worth on you because He's so great. Not because we're so great. And it's all His doing. It's grace. So, And I'll say this. Why is Paul going there? You cannot live in a manner worthy of His name until you come to grips with those two things. You cannot live in this life because this life is tough. This life is full of suffering. This life is full of persecutions, opposition, sin. You cannot live in a manner worthy of his name until you come to grips with those two truths right there. That you're secure, your future is absolutely secure in Christ. And that he actually likes you. <laughs> right? That makes me 22 feet tall and bulletproof. Right? Right? If you get that established, who cares what anybody else thinks about you? <laughs> You're 20 foot tall and bulletproof, man, right? But it gets gooder because he gets to the third what, right? George Fox word. <laughs> um, <laughs> verse 19, look at the third what of his prayer. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, this is, this is incredible here. This, this is just as, as incredible as God's affection for me is. Is this truth that his power is directed towards you? This power here is something that is available to every single saint. It's not asking God for more power, you know, that whole crazy thing. Come on, God, give me more power. No, he is the ultimate power that's available to you. This is what this is saying. It's directed toward us who believe. And he wants us to know this, you see. This is knowledge he wants you to be aware of. He wants you to be aware of the power that's available to you who are Christians. That's cool. All right. Now, his power. In verse 19, who is the his? But coming off of verse 17, this is the Father. Okay, the emphasis here is God the Father. This is the power of God the Father. Because that's from verse 17. That's to whom he's praying, right? The Father of glory. 
And in verse 20, it's His power that brought Christ up from the grave. So the power that He's emphasizing specifically here is the power of God the Father. Okay? All right. Power here in verse 19, surpassing greatness of His power, is from the term dunamis where we get dynamic from. Okay? Dynamic power. Um, It's the most often used Greek term for power in the New Testament. But dunamis... Dynamic. If you go to look up the English word dynamic, it means the ability to produce action or progress or a force producing motion. Okay? That's perfect. Right? What is this saying then? Is that the surpassing greatness of God's dynamic influence over all creation. It's his ability to do exactly what he wants to do every time he wants to do it. That's the dynamic power of God. And it's the surpassing greatness of that dynamic influence, right? So then, I want to take a moment, if you would let me, on a little journey. You don't have to follow me, but at least listen and certainly write these down. But I want to remind you of things that you already know. But when I did this for myself... I might have became 23 foot tall and bulletproof. <laughs> right? So here's the phrase as we're talking about the surpassing greatness of God's dynamic influence, we're talking about his omnipotence. Okay? God is omnipotent, Latin word all powerful. He possesses, listen now, he possesses all power. He does not receive power from any outside source. He does not expend or use up power so as to become less powerful so that he needs to rest to regain his strength. He doesn't use power. He just puts it into action. Since he possesses all power, all of creation borrows its power from the Creator. Therefore, God is said to be the source of all power. Our Son, S-U-N, and all the other sons in the universe, borrows power from God. Okay? The power of wind, the power of water, nuclear fusion, hydrogen bombs, and whatever else is out there that's powerful, all finds its source from God, the Creator. Okay? Listen to some of these verses. And i got a bunch here to rifle by you. But just enjoy listening to these things. Psalm 62, 11, power belongs to God. In Genesis 17, 11, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, which is Almighty, God Almighty. Revelation 19, 6, the voice of the great multitude was heard saying this, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Psalm 89, 13, You have a mighty arm, testifying about God. You have a mighty arm. Job 9.4, God is mighty in strength. Nahum 1.3, Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power. Psalm 89 verse 8, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you? After Moses experienced God's deliverance of Israel from the Egyptian bondage, he saw the ten plagues, he saw the dividing of the Red Sea and the drowning of the most powerful army on the earth. Moses exclaimed, O Lord God, you have begun to show 
your, to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Nobody. I hope you begin to see why I want you to hear these things. I want to remind you the surpassing greatness of the power of God towards you. Okay? Well, there's more. God says numerous times in the Old Testament, there is none like me. There is no one like me. I alone am God, says Yahweh. In Isaiah 48, 13, Indeed, my hand, God speaking, has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. Nehemiah 9, 6, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in them. You give life to them all, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Incredible stuff. I had written this down. It wasn't originally in my notes. But when Michael mentioned Isaiah 40, listen to a couple verses here. This is just along this same line here. It says, listen to verse Isaiah 40, verse 25. God is speaking. Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. And then this, because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Right? And then Psalm 8, verse 3, King David, moved by the Spirit, says this, When I consider your heavens, he's talking to God, the work of your fingers. Why does he mention fingers? I believe David's emphasizing how massive God is in that the work of the heavens is just the intricate finger work of God. Right? The heavens can't be measured. we got all this fancy telescope. They don't even know. They can't find the end of the universe. And God, it's the work of his fingers. Right? How awesome is that? David's emphasizing that God created with ease. And there's nothing too difficult for Yahweh. In fact, Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. In Genesis 18, when Sarah heard that she was going to have a child, remember, and she was an old lady, and she kind of laughed in mockery, and God said, Why did she laugh? Why did she laugh? And God responded to her mockery. If you remember in Genesis 18, God said to her, Is anything too difficult or too wonderful for Yahweh? And she conceived a year later. Right? The answer is no. Nothing is too difficult for Yahweh. Nothing is too wonderful. In Luke 1.35, you remember when Mary was told that she was going to have a child, and yet she asked, well, how can that be since I'm a virgin? I'm, I don't, have never known a man, and I don't expect to any time soon, right? The Holy Spirit, the angel said to her in response, quote, Luke 1.35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of the Most High. The point is, in the Holy Spirit overshadowing, 
the power of God caused her to conceive in her womb. That's incredible. That's incredible. God's power creates out of nothing the universe. God's power creates a human being in the womb of a virgin. Hebrews 1.3 says of Christ, who is the Creator as God, He upholds all things by the word of His power. Amazing. God so great in power, Jesus Christ in the Gospels would say in Matthew 19.26, with God, all things are possible. With God. So we say this then, nothing and no one, no devil, no human, no king, no dictator, nobody can thwart God's purpose or hinder his plan. Okay? No one can stop him, no one can overcome him, overpower him as to defeat him. He is omnipotent. Daniel 4.35, you remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, says this after he was restored after seven years eating grass like a cow. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth no one can restrain his hand. No one can keep back what he wants to do. Isaiah 43:13 There is no one who can deliver out of my hand says God I work and who will reverse it. Nobody. God possesses all power. He is inherently mighty. That is, He is by nature almighty. His person is almighty. Even the God-man, if you remember, Jesus Christ, God, taking on flesh, came onto this earth, revealed His deity by His works of power. For instance, you remember, He constantly revealed His power over sickness, he healed, he basically eradicated sickness from Palestine in three years. I mean, he healed thousands of people. Um, he had power over sickness, over disease. He healed lepers with a touch. He healed blind people. He healed the crippled and deformed. He had power over creation. Remember, he was asleep in the boat and he stood up and rebuked the wind. And the sea became perfectly calm and he told the wind to hush. Be still. He created food out of nothing. He had power over demons, power over the devil, and even power over death. Lazarus, come forth. The widow whose son was in the funeral procession and the Lord Jesus came and basically knocked on the casket and he woke from the dead. Only God can do that. That's how powerful he is. That's how powerful he is. So then, can we say this? If God is anything, he's extremely powerful. Right? He's extremely powerful. And if you go back to Ephesians, please, if you'd wandered away like I have, go back to Ephesians 1. And when it says in verse 19 that Paul is praying that believers come to understand, come to know, verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us. The word surpassing there is the word where we, our English word hyperbole comes from. Think about that. Hyperbole. Uh, what is, can I pick on you, sis, since you're our English major, and we're an intimate group here. What does hyperbole mean? 
Really? Well, I'm sorry. Um, it's to exaggerate, right? Hyperbole is to exaggerate beyond that which is true. It's an overstatement. Now get this. The Greek term that Paul uses to speak of the greatness of God's power, he uses a word that is hyperbole. The only thing is, you cannot speak hyperbole about God. You cannot over-exaggerate the truth of God. You cannot say anything that goes beyond God. He is infinite in His glory and infinite in His person. You cannot exaggerate His power. You cannot exaggerate His grace. You cannot exaggerate His love. You cannot exaggerate His wisdom. Can you? No. He is truly hyperbole, <laughs> right? But for Him, it's not an exceeding of the truth. It's just trying to speak in a manner that can reach the level of God. You cannot do it. So Paul says, I want these believers to know what is the surpassing greatness of His power. Man. We saw a little bit of it already, just the verses we looked at. His power is beyond containment. His power cannot be Suppressed, His power cannot be corralled, if you will. He's, he, he's beyond limits in His power. But look at 19 again. This, this surpassing greatness of His, God the Father's power. And then He uses this little phrase that speaks of direction. Do you see it there in verse 19? He wants us to know more than just how powerful God is. What is it that He wants us to know even more? Do you see it in verse 19? After, after he says the surpassing greatness of his power, what about that power? Towards us. That is absolutely, to me, that's, that's worth the whole text. It's like, that's invigorating. That's, that's, that's vibrating. That, that gives me goosebumps. The power we just were looking at, the power that is, cannot be exaggerated, is directed to the saints. Think about that. It's directed towards the saints, to us who believe. Maybe a better translation is to us who are believing. It's more of a present tense idea, so that it's, it means this, to, the, to us who are continuously, presently believing right now. Presently. Are you believing in Jesus Christ? Presently, are you trusting in Him? Be encouraged, beloved. The surpassing greatness of God's power is directed to you. Whoa. I just became 25 foot tall and bulletproof. Right? Do you see what he's getting at? This is already yours in Christ. By virtue of your union to Jesus Christ, this is already yours. All right. Now, the dynamic power of God the Father is presently and intentionally focused on the believer. According to that text. We are the supreme objects of His affection. His love and affection and His power is totally focused on His own. Okay? Scripture says, we won't chase this around, but just state it, His ears are inclined to hear our prayers. His eyes are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. His face is towards us for our good. Okay? 
All, so all that is true of God is directed towards our good because he loves us and he's gracious to us, which would include his omnipotence. Do you see? He can't leave that behind. God, and as a whole, God in his totality is directed toward the believer's good, which would include his omnipotence. See? And since he's gracious towards us, unmerited favor, that's in perfect harmony with his power. You see, his power is not for your destruction. His power is for your good. That's glorious. That's glorious. So God then, all that's true of him, his glory, his perfections, is directed toward us for our good. His grace towards us, his love is towards us, his wisdom toward us, his omnipotence, his power toward us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he's already for us. This is not a prayer asking God to be for us. He's already for us. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. He's already for you, you see. Since the beginning of time, He was for you. As history came, He's for you. And He has worked in your life to bring you to hear the gospel, to convert you, to make you His own. His power has been for your good always. It's incredible. So the the prayer request of Ephesians is that the church would come to understand and know that. Knowledge. And where are you going to learn that? But from the scriptures. From the scriptures. The importance of the Bible to inform our thinking as to what God promised, what God has accomplished on our behalf. So then, God is for us. This power. Think of this. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. You've already experienced the power in this life in that He converted you. He gave the gospel fruit in your life. He transformed you. He's changed you. Amen? That's the power of God. That's through the gospel. This power, according to 1 Peter 1, 5, since conversion, you are protected by the power of God unto a salvation ready to be revealed. See? So he's the power of God came in the gospel, converted you, brought you into Christ, made you alive when you were once dead quickened you, transformed you, united you to Christ. The power of God since then has guarded you and protected you and will protect you unto future salvation. So you cannot be lost. You cannot be abandoned by God. You cannot be left aside. You cannot be thrown aside along the road because you just didn't match up to God's standard. He thought you would. He really hoped you would. But you failed somewhere between here and there and he's thrown you away. No, he's protecting you unto that final salvation. That should make you 25 foot tall and bulletproof. Right? Here's the power of God in your life. Already. How about Romans 8.28? I'm sure we all have that on our refrigerator somewhere, out of context, but... (laughs) Right? Romans 8.28. And we know that God does something, right? works all things out together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Did you catch that? All things God is working 
What is that expression of? His power. God's power in your life right now is fulfilling Romans 8.28. It cannot be stopped because He's for you. It's the power that's surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. That power saved you. That power is protecting you. That power is working everything out in your life for good as defined by God. Yes? All right. Now, back to Ephesians, please. Look at what it says here in verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance, they're in harmony with the working of the strength of His might... Those are all synonymous terms, working strength and might, that all are synonymous for, for power. I believe he uses those four words for power in this text to show the, the depth and the width and the extensiveness of God's power. It, it, it's, it's beyond my ability to speak, and I'm going to stop trying right now and go to verse 20, because the greatest expression of the power of which Paul wants us to get a grip on is the empty tomb. Look what he says. Which he brought about, which God the Father brought about in Christ when, timing, he raised him, Christ, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenlies. Two things there, right? The power that he wants us to get a grip is the power that was manifest in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know what that says? It took God's power to do that. Okay? It, it says in verse 20, where it says, when he raised him from the dead, the original, the, the Greek text says it like this, which I really hits home to me. He raised him from out of the dead ones. It's like a sphere of which Christ was laying amongst the dead ones. And the power of God came and said, be alive. And it delivered him out from amongst the dead ones and, and brought him to life. That's pretty cool, right? And so the idea here is the power that raised him from the dead. Think of this, what it took to do that. It took God's power to deliver the Son from the power of death. It took the power of God to deliver him from the devil. Hebrews 2 says that the devil had the power of death. Okay? God overpowered the devil. He routed him. <laughs> God routed him. It wasn't even close. He broke the bonds and the shackles of death and raised Christ from the dead. So that Acts 2.24 is true. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him, Christ, to be held by its power. God overpowered the power of the grave. In raising Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, look to that event, look to the reality of Christ's resurrection and get a grip of the power that is directed towards you right now. So there's no excuse, beloved, for failure other than sin. Ignorance and sin. We can't say, I just can't do it. Is God... God Impotent? That's <laughs> what you're saying if I say that. God is for me, which is to say His omnipotence is for me, 
to accomplish all that He has for me. See? Now, yes, we're going to fail, and yes, we're going to sin, and yes, we're going to do this, but I'm saying we don't have an excuse other than sin. Paul is saying God has available for you to live victoriously in this life for Christ the power that raised Christ from the dead. Dude, now you're 26 feet tall and bulletproof. You just get bigger and bigger, right? I think people like excuses sometimes. God says you don't have an excuse. Call on me. I'll give you the strength. Call on me. I'll give you the strength. Right? Um, Where are we? In also, also, look at verse 20, where he says, the, the power that raised Christ from the dead, it also took power to seat him at his right hand in the heavenlies. That's interesting. Right? So it took the same power that raised him from the dead, the power of God then placed Jesus Christ at the right hand of God, and we know from other passages to be at the right hand is this position of power, a prestigious place, okay, a place of honor. Jesus Christ was not only raised from the grave, he was delivered and put at the place of highest honor. That, and nothing could thwart that. Nothing could stop that. Because look at the next verse 21. This place where he is seated, verse 21 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That same power, Tino, since you're right there, I'm sorry, is directed towards you. Now think about this. If I have a, if I have a, a gun and it's directed towards you, right, and I pull the trigger, right, you're going to be the recipient of the power of that weapon. God says, I am omnipotent and it's, direct, it's pointed towards you for your, for your use. To call on me. Isn't that awesome? It's at our disposal. We were visiting this week and we were talking about the cell phone. Right? I live like a lot of Christians with my cell phone. I could rule the world with the ability of that cell phone, but I only use it for texting. <laughs> right? It can do such a, so much more. And, it's at, and it all is this push button away. God's power is at your disposal. So let's, let's take advantage of it, is what Paul is saying. I want every believer to know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the, of the inheritance of God and the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of the power towards us who believe. Man. And you know what? That's true for every single true believer in Christ. Whether they're one day old or been walking with the Lord for 80 years. This is available. This is true, right? Awesome, awesome. At the right hand of God, the very same power is toward us who believe that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand. If you went to chapter 2, look at 5 and 6 real quick. He says in verse 5, Even when we were dead, 2-5, dead in our transgressions, spiritually dead, made us alive together with Christ, that takes power and grace, by grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, So the power that performed in Christ's life is what's available to us and it has already by spiritual union united us to Christ so that we are at 
also been raised spiritually and are at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. Even now, even now in Christ, that is true of us. Positionally, soon it will be practically. Um, In 1 Corinthians, listen to 1 Corinthians 6, please. Verse 14, this resurrection power in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 6. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Okay, So the power that raised Christ is the power that He will use to raise you. So why does, he, why does Paul mention this in Ephesians? I think is at least this, right? He wants to encourage the believers there that that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also raise you from the dead. And then the hope that we have of His calling is absolutely secure because of the omnipotence of God. Right? And think about this. What is Paul doing here? I think what he's saying is this is the means by which you will live in a manner worthy of God. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts that way, but I think this is the grounds of that. How are you and I going to live in a manner worthy of Christ? Understand what is the hope of our calling. Truly believe that God treasures us and believe that His power is available for you to call on for every event in your life. And that's what will empower you to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. It's possible. He's provided what we need. Right? He's provided what we need. Let's call on Him. Let's call on this God who's, who is the power source of the universe. I have four verses at least that I want to close with and then I'll leave you alone. Okay? Look, go to Romans 15, please. Because... This is a common thread throughout the New Testament that the power of God is available and what is, what is the practical outcoming of this power? Look at 15.13 of Romans. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope. How? By the power of of the Holy Spirit. So the text is saying that the, 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 the life to be lived in joy and hope is the result of the power of God in my life. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. To the right, two books, 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's famous thorn in the flesh text where he asked God three times, please remove this, please remove this. But God did not remove it in verse 7, and follow down through here. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, we can start in verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, for what purpose? To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored, I begged the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. And then this, For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, Therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. 
Verse 10 would say, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you see verse 10 is the situation by which he calls on the power to endure in such a way that Christ is magnified. The insults and the persecutions and the distresses. It takes the power of God to live in a manner worthy under those situations. You see, you cannot do it on your own. But you can in the power of God. And he says, I boast in my weakness. Because in so doing, the power that belongs to me, the power of Christ is manifested. So there's no excuse in people watching to say, wow, what a Christ. What a God. What a God. This should, this should really encourage us, please, to not quit, to not back up, to not, if, if obeying God leads to trouble, don't divert and go somewhere else. Stay the course because the power of the omnipotent God is at your resources to uphold you, to stay fast for His glory, to hear the praise of God. Isn't it great? Someday we'll stand before Him And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. And he's provided what he he will for us to do that. That invigorates me to do so. Go to Colossians 1, please. Colossians 1. Look at verse, oh, context here. How about um, 10 and 11? I know we're in the middle here, but you'll, you'll see. Chapter 1, verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. One of Paul's favorite phrases, by the way. What would that look like, verse 10? To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11 strengthened with all power, notice now 11, according to His glorious might, for what goal or purpose? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. That's awesome. Steadfastness and patience to remain, to abide in the midst of troubling, challenging circumstances. It takes the power of God. And you and I can do it under His power. Don't bail. Don't say, I deserve a better day. You deserve nothing. You and I deserve nothing but hell. Okay, let's get over that. Don't use the word deserve. You don't want what you deserve. You want grace. And guess what? It's available. It's available so that you can walk in a manner worthy of Christ. If Christ is just a fair-weather God, we don't need Him. But in our troubles and in our situations, in our challenges, in our persecutions, in opposition, we can stay the course for the name of Christ in the power of God. Call on it. Don't bail. Don't bail. Stay the course. Well, Colossians... 1, look at 28 and 29. I'm almost finished. Listen to this. This is so cool. Paul says, ministry is defined in verse 28. We proclaim Him, that's Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man 
with all wisdom. For what purpose? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Okay? Now that's ministry. Preaching Christ. So that people grow up in Christ. And he says that I might present him, these people, to God, complete in Christ. Fair enough? But it takes a lot of work. Look at the next text. Next verse. 29. For this purpose also I labor, striving, agonizing, according to, notice, His power which mightily works within me. It takes God's power to fulfill the ministry of proclaiming Christ. He's not just talking about preachers. He's not just talking about me standing right here. He's talking about Christians going out and talking about Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. Because the word proclaim there in verse 28 is not the normal word for preaching. It's just basically talking about. So what is he saying? It says it takes the power of God mightily working within me to go about and faithfully talk about Jesus Christ. Why is that so? It's because there's so much opposition in the spiritual world. We do not battle against flesh and blood, but all the powerful sources of the, in the heavenlies, yes? So it takes the power of God to faithfully proclaim Christ in that situation of so much opposition. That should make us not cower back. That should make me 27 feet tall and bulletproof and going forward. Christians do not retreat. We advance, right? So no more Christian retreats. <laughs> right? We advance forward. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Um, one more, please. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. Oh, this is just so wonderful. 3 verse 20. Look at what he says. He kind of summarizes this first section of Ephesians by this verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able, has the ability to do far more abundantly beyond, look at the superlatives, of all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? Within us. Within us. Why is it within us? Because God dwells within us. The Spirit dwells within us. Christ dwells within us. The one who's omnipotent dwells within us. All we have to do is ask. And He says, not only will He answer, but it's far beyond what you could ever think about. My mind cannot go beyond the limits of God's power. Man. And God says, just call on me. I'm afraid I don't do that very well. But I want to. I want to. Amen? Amen. Then you die and go to glory. And we praise Him. So then, back to Ephesians 1. And closing in this. This is what Paul prays for, for Christians. And this is what I want us to pray for, for each other. May we follow suit with Paul. May we pray for each other this way, that we would know what is the hope of His calling. Pray for each other that way. That we, we would have an under, a great understanding of the gospel and the promises of God. Take advantage 
of Bible studies. Take advantage of your own time in the Word. Take advantage of church and coming. And, and just take advantage of every opportunity to be immersed in the Word of God to inform your thinking as to what is the hope of His calling. Secondly, verse 18, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? In other words, this, again, realize and bask in the glory that God loves you and likes you. That makes me happy, right? I can't stand myself, but God loves me. Awesome. And then third, as we already looked in 19, pray for each other that we would come to know what is the extent of the power that is available to us to live in a manner worthy of Christ. Amen? To be faithful in proclamation, to be faithful in dealing with sin, to be faithful with dealing with sinners. <laughs> so that there's no excuse, beloved, to not persevering, not walking steadfastly. And when we are weak, praise God, His power is perfected. When we are weak, call on the body to pray. And we will pray for you. And God will answer. And you will know the power of the resurrection invigorating your soul to stay the course in the midst of troubles. I don't know about you. I like that. That's grace. And that's available to every single saint. There's no super saint and there's no, no, no lesser saint. That's true for all of us. So let's pray, can we? Hmm. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love and affection. And thank you for the hope that we have. I pray that you will help us to grow in our knowledge of these truths and live accordingly, live in light of. Help us, Father, to be steadfast, patient in the midst of suffering and affliction and persecutions. Help us to stay the course. Help us to call on your power that you have for us always. Father, if anyone is here who has not repented and is not believing in you, I ask that you do a great work right now, Father, and deliver them from the power and the penalty of sin and bring them to yourself. Be glorified in these things. In Christ's name, amen.